0: You're listening to the audio-only version of the Moe Gamer Podcast. Don't forget you can watch a video version of this episode over on YouTube. Check moegamer.net for a link to the channel. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Moe Gamer Podcast. I'm Pete Davison from moegamer.net and as usual I'm joined by my good friend Chris Kasky from MrGilderPixels.com. How are you doing today Chris? I'm doing well Pete, how are you? Oh, had a stressful week, so I'm looking forward to just kicking back and talking about some games rather than having to worry about anything, so um, yeah, should be uh, should be a, a good chat today. So, um, what we decided to do today is, because we didn't get to everything we'd planned to cover in our beat-em-up episode last time around, we're going to continue that discussion today and perhaps branch off a little bit into um, some sort of beat up adjacent stuff as well. Um, it would depend on on how long we go on for, I guess. But it's it's basically going to be a continuation of uh, of last time's topic, and before that, as usual, we're going to take a look at some of the news stories that have caught our interest recently, and talk a little bit about what we've been playing. So, um, starting off with the news, then, um, first thing I wanted to mention is uh, mostly of interest to Europeans like me. Sorry, I'm not European anymore, am I? British people like me. <laughs> <laughs> ruff, 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 ruff. Um, Yeah, uh, apparently Limited Run uh, is in the early stages of opening an operation in the Netherlands, uh, which will enable them to ship more easily and affordably to Europe and adjust shipping rates down worldwide. Uh, Because at the moment, what they've got is the global shipping rates are so expensive because they're basically eating a lot of the cost when they're sending things further afield. And so what they've done is they've sort of bumped the shipping cost up for everyone to try and absorb some of that expense. But at the moment, they're making quite a loss on shipping from the sound of things uh, because of having to ship things all over the world from just this one location. So having another distribution center in the Netherlands to ship to people in Europe and surrounding areas will certainly be very good for them. So um, all they've said so far is that they're in the very early stages of sorting that out. So uh, no word on when that's going to be set up yet. But um, yeah, it's happening finally. So I'm excited about that.
1: Yeah, that's great news. I mean, I know for a lot of people out there, that's been a tremendous barrier.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, basically at the moment in in Europe, for anything I order from Limited Run, shipping is at minimum uh, $14.99, which is sort of half the cost of a game in some cases. Yeah. Um, and if you're getting something like a um, one of the collector's editions or something like that, it can be even more because they bump the, the price up because of the weight and the size of the package as well. So, sure. So it can get very expensive importing stuff. I mean, it hasn't stopped me from doing it because there's a lot of stuff on limited run that I very much want. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it'll be it'll, it'll be nice to sort of make that a little bit more affordable for, uh, for people who've maybe kind of held off collecting some of the stuff that they do up until this point.
1: And it's so, like, skewed because... Like there's a lot of European-based um, limited press houses too. Yes. Super like super yeah. rare games um, comes to mind. Um, uh, strictly limited, and <laughs> it, it's so lopsided because like shipping from those guys to the U.S. is extremely reasonable.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It's not as inexpensive as limited run in the U.S. to the U.S., but it's like seven dollars a package instead of five so it's like totally (laughs) totally livable so it drives me crazy because like you know i'll be grabbing a salt android cactus this week from super Mm -hmm. super rare and it'll probably be maybe seven bucks to ship to the us so i've always
0: thought that was unfair yeah yeah i mean like i say they they sent out an email recently that was sort of trying to justify the shipping costs and so on and i I kind of get it but because they are definitely the the biggest operation doing this kind of thing in the world and they are shipping all over the world but yeah even so it's it'll it'll be very nice to not have to pay quite so much to to get some of this cool stuff uh, which is cool, right? Uh, moving on then. Uh, the second thing that I've got noted here, this is uh, this is about a mobile game, uh, but it, it, it looked quite like quite an interesting story because um, uh, we both played Final Fantasy Brave XVS when it first came out, and were quite pleasantly surprised that they'd actually made a real effort to do something a bit beyond the the sort of usual um, tap to advance. Uh, gacha game thing they'd actually put in some sort of exploration and random battles and walking around towns and stuff and the 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 follow-up to Final Fantasy Brave Exvius for mobile uh, basically looks like a Final Fantasy Tactics successor Um, so this is called War of the Visions Final Fantasy Brave Exvius Um, and it's uh, open for pre-registration for the western version now um, it's been downloaded 9 million times since it launched in November 2019 in Japan, so it's proving pretty popular. Um, and yeah, just just the screenshots of this make it look very much like a new Final Fantasy Tactics game. Um, like it's got all the, um, the, the sort of gauges you'd expect from Final Fantasy Tactics, like your charge time and that sort of thing. And... Um, Sort of elemental weaknesses and actions to do and movement and height and that sort of thing so this this could potentially be an interesting game I mean it will probably be full of the usual gacha bullshit but um, yeah, worth it. it's certainly going to be worth a look. The, the the Final Fantasy mobile games have been pretty good on the whole so um, yeah, watch out for that basically
1: Yeah, that looks really neat I mean, Brave Exvius wasn't garbage so <laughs> 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 to the extent to it hey, hey, that's high praise for me coming from listen so this like the only mobile game that can ever be good has already launched this week officially so you can now get symphony of the night on mobile on android (laughs) so like that's now the bar for mobile for mobile games so you know
0: yeah yeah I, I don't know i don't want to play castlevania on a touchscreen. no me neither <laughs> I'm, not,
1: I'm not saying i want to play it i'm just saying the quality for game design is now simply yeah. of the night on mobile yeah. so yeah. true that's the bar now
0: true all right let's move on okay next story we've got is that there's a uh, ninja gaiden-esque platformer called cyber shadow coming out this fall uh you posted this one so you do you want to tell us a bit about this
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, just Cyber Shadow's been kind of known for a while. There's been multiple trailers for it. Uh, It's being published by Yacht Club, Mm -hmm. um, who are great. And uh, it's just a really pretty, like, you know, enhanced (laughs) uh, 8-bit platformer in the Ninja Gaiden style. And um, the game soundtrack has some input from Jake Kaufman. Oh, cool. Um not he's not composing it but he's involved in pr- in the production of it. Yeah. Um so it's just exciting and uh the big deal now is that it does have a fall uh release window. It never really had any kind of notion of release window before. It just kind of has been delicious trailers, but now mm-hmm. we're starting to understand that we should be able to play it in the fall. So, it's exciting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, this looks neat. It's um, like you say; it's got it very much got that sort of enhanced NES look about it. So, um, it's got that that kind of limited color palette, but then it's got the the additional level of detail and that sort of thing that we've we've come to expect from these sort of modern retro games. So, yeah, that looks, mm-hmm. that looks really neat.
1: Yeah, and this and the soundtrack is banging. If you, if you listen, if you <laughs> the the first the original trailer that came out, I like I watch it all the time just for the music.
0: Cool. Yeah, so we'll watch out for that this fall then. Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, we've got a new Samurai Jack game coming on the way from Adult Swim and Ga- Adult, Adult Games and Soleil Games. Um, it's called Samurai Jack Battle Through Time. And it's coming to everything. Switch, PS4, Xbox One and PC. Um, and it's sort of uh, making a real effort to kind of um, pay homage to the uh, art style and animation of the original series. Um, and provide some sort of hack and slash gameplay. Um, I don't know a lot about Samurai Jack. I must confess, I've I've never actually watched it, but I know it's it's sort of had a bit of a resurgence in popularity recently, hasn't it?
1: Yeah. So like, the whole deal with Samurai Jack was um, so Samurai Jack is by uh, was created by Gendi Tartakovsky who's considered one of like the great luminaries of like Western animation in the modern era. Yeah. Um, he originally made his name uh, doing uh, Dexter's Laboratory. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which was quite good. And then, um, so essentially, uh, Tartakovsky wanted to create an original action animated series that was um, allowed him to kind of explore like a very unique artistic presentation while also leveraging um, the unique quality of animation in that it could present action in a way that like real life never could in like a stylized, beautiful way. Um so that that's kind of how Samurai Jack came to be and then he produced a number of seasons. I believe it was 3 original seasons. Um and then it just went away. Yeah. For like 10 years. And then they made a season 4 like like 10 years later and actually <laughs> brought and like wrapped everything up. So like yeah. these days there's a lot of like scuttlebutt about it because they they finished it like last year, 2 years ago relatively recently and um it's led a lot of people like me who are like in their 30s and early 40s who like loved it 10 years ago to like just uh, really retouch with how incredible a franchise it was and how like advanced mm-hmm. it was for its time yeah um and there was a licensed samurai jack back on like the gamecube ps2 xbox era um mm-hmm. i don't remember who developed it but it was really really good yeah. um which is unique usually when you've got a licensed game based on a, uh, you know, a cartoon property. It's never anything to really write home about, but that game was great. Yeah. So just um, the hope is that this is going to continue that tradition and and be a really solid action game. Um, I don't know much about this developer. They don't have a large history. Um, I can't even tell if they're Western or Japanese. They've done a Naruto game, but I, I don't really think that necessarily means they're, they're, uh, Eastern developer. I'm, I'm having yeah. trouble finding much information on them. But either way, the, the footage looks looks really cool and the the style is kind of recreating the style of the, the original show in a pretty attractive way, so I'm excited about this because I really like this property.
0: Cool. Cool. Yeah, the, the developer of the first Samurai Jack game was a company called Adrenium Games, who apparently uh, got absorbed into what is now Foundation 9 Entertainment. Um... And it was published by Sega, so yeah, there was some so, some solid talent behind that, from the sound of things. So, cool. All right, moving along. Uh, the next story we've got is that Brigandine, the most terrifying-looking strategy game on consoles, is coming <laughs> uh, coming coming out worldwide on June the twenty-fifth of this year. <laughs> what
1: what terrifies you about it? Just the sheer scale oh, of
0: it. Just this oh, this this game just looks. I, it frightens me. <laughs> I look into this game, and it's like looking into the abyss. And it's like, oh, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I'm going to understand this game. But no, it, oh, it, it I, I
1: 100% am not going to understand it. I didn't understand the original <laughs> one.
0: But yeah, it looks super cool, and it's really nice that it's getting a worldwide release as well. So rather than having to wait for a localization, it's coming out worldwide on June the 25th. Uh, it's getting a physical run um, with help from Limited Run Games. Which we'll hear a bit more about that soon. All being well, Um, and yeah, so watch out for that. Basically, I think there's a new trailer out for that as well. So have a watch of that. If
1: have you ever, I know you're not a huge like overhead strategy guy, like turn-based strategy guy. Hmm. Um, Have you ever heard of the Dice and Ryaku series? Have you ever seen footage of that?
0: No, I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah, if you.
1: If you really want to be frightened by a strategy game, look up Dice Ryaku. Oh,
0: my God. A- so many hexes. So many hexes. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a
1: lot of hexes. <laughs> yeah. It's very, very. That's a very popular series in, like, Japanese strategy communities. There's only mm-hmm. been, like, one or two um, entries ever released in the West. Yeah. Yeah. Um, bizarrely enough one of the ones that came out in the west was for the xbox that Mm. got localized the original xbox which like nothing nothing said like receptive audience for complex japanese strategy games like owning an xbox in the west yeah like like, it didn't even make sense but yeah Mm. that 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 is that is the peak of terrifying japanese turn-based strategy
0: yeah well there's uh there's one on Steam, apparently. Currently has fifty eight mostly negative reviews. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't even I don't
1: know how to even like describe the experience of playing Dyson Ryaku. It's not fun. It's, mm. it's Yes. It depends on how much mo- Dyson Ryaku is for a very specific breed of people who like get off to aircraft carriers. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's one review not- here that one review here that just says bad UI in text, I hurt map icon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a, very, God. it's a very the Dyson Rehaku community is a very interesting group. Of people. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, that looks terrifying. Never touching that ever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Right. Uh moving on to something that is uh is exciting and that I want to get involved with is that Platinum Games has uh provided a few sort of details and teasers for its new project GG uh, which is uh, a multi-platform project directed by Hideki Kimiya. And it's a completely new IP for Platinum Games that they're going to be self-publishing. Uh, apparently Tencent, who invested in them a little while back, they offered to publish, but Platinum decided to self-publish because they wanted full control and ownership of it, which seems to be very much something that they're trying to, to get into now. So with the, the whole the wonderful 101 Kickstarter, the, the, the point behind that was so that they could self-publish that and that sort of thing. And it looks like they're very keen to uh, make sure that Project GG is is their own thing as well. So, yeah, very cool. What do you think of what, you, what we've seen of this so far, then?
1: Uh, is there any kind of footage or anything yet? I don't think there's even artwork or, or, or have they released stuff finally.
0: I think there was there was like a, um, I want to say there was a brief trailer or something because everyone was going crazy about sort of kaiju and stuff recently. Uh, let me have a look.
1: Yeah, I don't know mm-hmm. anything about it, other than the fact that it's a new IP that Kamiya's directing. I-, I haven't seen anything from it.
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a teaser trailer that came out about a week ago. Um, you can find it on YouTube. I'll include it in the video version of this podcast. Uh, but yeah, it sort of seems to be based around the concept of uh, nature's revenge. So, a very sort of common thing for uh, kaiju-style stuff. Sure. Is it nature's revenge or the wrath of the gods? So, there's, there's sort of taglines and... The trailer's all sort of people running around panicking, and um, what basically what you'd expect from a kaiju trailer. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm there. There's nothing I love more than kaiju, because if there's kaiju, there's a very good chance that there's
0: robots. Yeah, well, it, it basically appears to be uh, Ultraman versus Godzilla.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Like that tokusatsu, like... like- spandex hero thing
0: well it's 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 like a giant ultraman um versus right. a giant godzilla type thing uh in with sort of having a fight in the middle of a city and making a real mess and that sort of thing so like i said the trailer's is only like a minute and a half long and it doesn't show very much of sort of particular note but it got a lot of people very excited last week so uh, yeah do do do, powerful, do have a look at that
1: the powerful climax to the hideki kamiya superhero trilogy so what is the Hideki Kamiya superhero? I'm, I'm assuming Wonderful One Hundred One. What's the it's, other one?
0: Uh, Beautiful Joe, the first one.
1: Oh, okay, that's confusing because there's two Beautiful Joes.
0: <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Well, all right. Yeah, I never really
1: got into Beautiful Joe. I mean, I respect I, it. I never, I respect it, but I could never get into it.
0: Hmm. I think I think I own one, but I haven't actually got around to trying it yet. But uh, yeah, that, that's that's one of those games that I know a lot of people really really liked, but. uh haven't given it a go for myself yet. Alright, uh moving on. Uh Death End Request 2 uh has been out for a little while in Japan now and people seem to be enjoying it quite a bit. And it's been confirmed that it's coming west for PlayStation 4 in 2020. Uh, this isn't a surprise at all, but it's welcome confirmation. Um and yeah, so um interesting thing about this one is that uh it's a collaboration between the writer of the Corpse Party series. And uh, the guy who did the character designs for the original Death End Request, which is K Nanamida. Um, so the first Death End Request, if you've not experienced it, was a really interesting blend of sort of uh, isekai and science fiction and uh, classic Japanese horror in many ways. And so for them to bring on uh, Makoto Keduin from Corpse Party is a real sort of natural progression for that. So I, I guess they'll be sort of playing up the uh, the horror side of things. I, I, I've deliberately not looked at any. Sort of specific details from the Japanese version as yet, because I want to go in fresh when it comes out. But uh, yeah, if it's if it's more of what the first one offered, I'm I'm definitely very up for that.
1: Yeah, I, I just I'm so glad that the first one did well enough to even merit a second one in the first place. <laughs> mm.
0: Yeah, I, I mean I yeah I was quite concerned around the time it released that it was sort of being sent out to die a bit, but it seems like it was it was received very well pretty worldwide. So um, yeah, I'm I'm very happy to see this and uh, like I say the, the few people I know who have been playing the Japanese version they've had positive things to say about it so that's cool that's cool uh, no specific date yet but it is confirmed for this year so keep an eye on Idea Factory International site for that I guess awesome alright uh, next up uh, we got some more shoot em ups on the way uh, from cute corporation so they're bringing Ginga Force and Natsuki Chronicles to Playstation 4 and PC via Steam uh, no uh, Switch version, which is a bit of a shame. Uh, yeah, it's but, bizarre. But because uh, yeah, Switch seems to be finding finding itself to be quite a good home for shooter Ups recently, especially with sort of the ability to use things like the flip grip and so on to do Tarte mode on on the go. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a bit of a shame that this doesn't appear to be coming for Switch. But um, yeah, uh, Ginga Force is cool. I've got the Xbox 360 version of that. Uh, this is um, from the same people who did Escatos, which is one of my favourite shooter maps. Uh, I haven't played Natsuki Chronicles at all but um, yeah Ginga Force is certainly certainly really cool they're both sort of anime styled um, shoot em ups and uh, yeah cute uh, does some, some really cool games that um, they're kind of more in they're, they're not bullet hell games basically they're, they're more sort of classic style shoot em ups no. uh, they're still pretty challenging they, they tend to be fairly long as well Eskotos is quite quite long for a shoot em up Uh, But it's got a really nice sense of um, kind of narrative progression as you go through. Like there's a real strong focus on dramatic sort of sweeping camera angles in the background and uh, really cool music and that sort of thing. And Ginga Force kind of follows on from that tradition. So it's a bit of a shame that Eschatos isn't in here because I would love to play that again on a third platform. But uh, (laughs) having bought it on Xbox and PC... But uh, yeah, I'm I'm definitely happy to see these getting an official Western release, because I don't think any of those uh, came outside Japan in their Xbox 360 versions, but they were region free, so you can import those. Right. Um, Yeah, so that is uh, coming in 2020 via Rising Star Games. Uh, Again, no, no specific date on that yet.
1: I'm hoping that means a physical release for the PS4 version. Um, Hopefully, hopefully, yeah. Rising Rising Star does publish, so...
0: Yeah, Yeah, Rising Star have been pretty good for that sort of thing, so uh, we'll keep an eye out for them. Alright, next one. uh, We've got a new Shovel Knight game on the way, which is called Shovel Knight Pocket Dungeon, uh, which is going to be a puzzle adventure game with platforms to be determined, uh, but it looks pretty likely that there will be at the very least a playstation 4 and a switch version because both those versions are at pax east or were at pax east that's finished now um but uh yeah so um this is like a combination of falling block puzzle game and dungeon crawling Um, yeah
1: yeah with like roguelite elements
0: yeah so it's a it's a very strange looking game but uh potential to be a lot of fun i think yeah, it's um, a very
1: addictive combination.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's it, it it sort of looks like it's got that really sort of uh, appealing kind of energetic puzzle feel to it. Sort of like sort of the more more sort of high speed puzzles like Magical Drop and that sort of thing. It's got it. It looks like it's got that sort of energy about it. It's it's not mm-hmm. the same mechanics or anything like that, but it it looks very very sort of lively and energetic. And yeah, the addition of the sort of uh, rogue like elements and the exploration side of things as well is. Yeah, hard to hard to make out how it's going to work uh, at the moment, but uh, looking forward to giving that a try because it it looks looks pretty fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's just so visually appealing too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. We and of
1: course Jake Kaufman on soundtrack. Of course,
0: of course, yeah. Okay, um, and yeah, talking of uh, talking of cool developers, um, we've had another cool announcement of a sort of retro-inspired game uh, called Hotshot Racing, which is coming for PS4, Xbox One, Switch and PC this spring, uh, and the cool thing about this is that um, Sumo Digital are working on this one alongside developer Lucky Mountain Games, so um, Sumo Digital, if you're not familiar, they did uh, the uh, Sonic racing games, among other things. And a lot of the people at Sumo Digital used to work at Bizarre Creations as well. So they worked on things like Blur and Project Gotham Racing and so on. So they, they really, they really really know their racing games. Um, and what this is, this is a racer uh, inspired by the sort of low-poly look of stuff like Virtue Racing and so on. So uh, it looks like they're going for a kind of an homage to things like Virtue Racing, Cruising USA, Sega Rally and that sort of thing. So all of the... Um, well, they, they specifically mentioned uh, the kind of arcade machines you'd see on seafronts in the UK. So um, I think I've mentioned before that um, like, uh, the arcade experience here in the UK was very much something you did when you went on holiday. It's not something you could just go into town and do. You you, you had to be by the seaside to go to an arcade in most cases. And so you, you tend to have sort of the most impressive um, arcade machines there, things like the racing games and the hydraulic cabinets and that sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, this looks super cool. Looking forward to giving it a try.
1: Yeah, I'm excited.
0: Always up for more retro races, for sure.
1: I specifically have a soft spot for that, like, early 32-bit, like, low-poly racing. Like, I love... um,
0: The sort of untextured low-poly thing, yeah.
1: Like Daytona.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's a very distinctive look, and it's... uh, yeah, a lot of people sort of say that age of 3D graphics hasn't aged all that well, but I, I think sort of the, the era before they textured everything has yes. aged quite nicely. Um, so, like, there's a few textures around the place in this, but it's it's mostly sort of flat, shady polygons with very sort of sharp angles and very harsh... Um, kind of harsh lighting between different different sides of the objects and so on. It, yeah, it's got a very distinctive look. It's very, it's very similar to uh, Horizon Chase Turbo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and that game really works uh, from a visual perspective as well. So... Yeah, looking forward to that. So that's coming out in spring. Again, no date on that one. Yeah, we, we don't seem to be doing release dates at the moment. It's just spring 2020. <laughs> okay, uh, next one we've got is that uh, Panzer Paladin, which is the new game from the developer of Mercury Kings, which is Tribute Games. That is coming out this summer because... <laughs> no release dates um yeah this looks this looks lovely um, uh yeah. i mean i i would expect nothing less from tribute games of course but this this actually kind of has the look of um more so than uh retro consoles this actually looks more like a a, a retro home computer game in many ways in terms of sort of the color palette and um the heavy the design of black yeah, yeah, lots, lots of black space and things like the status bar and stuff, like the 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 big energy bar at the top with the with the portrait and the character's name and stuff like that. That reminds me very much of sort of um, Commodore CC Four and Atari Eight Bit style of presentation. Uh, but yeah, this looks this looks fantastic. So I mean, yeah. you're a bit more familiar with this than me. So so what's what's the gist of this then for those? I, who- I
1: don't we don't know too much right there isn't even uh, really a heck of a lot of footage um from what i understand it's kind of leveraging some of the uh assault suits lanos style gameplay where you're okay. in the in the giant robot and you can get out of the giant robot and also be your little pilot to fight mm-hmm. um you can equip weapons that dropped by the enemies there is a, a rock, paper, scissors weapon system for mm-hmm. gauging, like, how to engage in combat and, like, what en- weapons to use against what enemies based on what they're using. Um, you can all, you can eject as your pilot, and you can use a, a laser whip that also allow, is for navigation to swing across gaps. Um, so it's just kind of a, a really good... Uh, formula for a side scroller i mean these kind of like you're in a giant robot but can also eject and be a pilot games are um not common um yeah but they but they have a you know a solid following um what was the one on super nintendo from lucas arts uh metal warriors i think mm-hmm. yeah. it was, was all well, incredible so and, and obviously the pedigree of tribute just like yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah just 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 another cool indie side scroller to be excited about with a really beautiful distinct visual presentation
0: yeah yeah definitely yeah this looks cool i will be keeping an eye on that for sure um yeah next story we've got is uh, kind of a follow-up to one we mentioned i think it was last time uh which is that the the henk nieborg fronted um gauntlet inspired action adventure battle axe Uh, It's it's called itself an official publisher. It's going to be published by Numbskull Games, and they're going to be doing a a physical release of it as well, which is Mm -hmm. nice. Um, So, yeah, this is, um, if you've not seen this, this is um, Henk Nieborg. Um, He'd done a lot of stuff for for WayForward, is that right?
1: Yes, he's worked on some of the Shantae titles.
0: Yes. Um, And, yeah, he's he's basically doing a a top-down action adventure that's very much inspired by Gauntlet, um it's got a soundtrack by uh manami matsume um it's got solo or co-op play and it looks absolutely lovely i mean there's been a few trailers going out about it now so yeah it's it, it's 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 got through its kickstarter goals successfully as well um and yeah it's 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 going to get a broader release as well so you won't necessarily have to um jump on board with a kickstarter to get yourself a copy to put on your shelf which is nice mm-hmm. um yeah, Numskull's been around for a while, but I, I feel like I feel like I've sort of noticed their presence a lot more recently. Um, they seem to be sort of really stepping their game up in terms of um, um, sort of really promoting their stuff. So a lot of the stuff that they've put out recently, they've uh, they put out the the new version of Uno uh, is oh, okay. Um They published Deadly Premonition Origins. Um, they had something to do with Crystar. They just announced that they're doing a physical release of uh, all of the. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Holy Potatoes games as well. Yeah, yeah, those are a yeah. lot of fun. Yeah, is um, it going to be so like they, a
1: compilation?
0: Yeah, they're doing a three-in-one uh, Switch cartridge for them, so they're all. Oh, in I one might buy that. Cartridge. Those are great yeah. games. Yeah, uh, that's out. That's out in May. I think they announced that this week. So, uh, yeah, go 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 pick it up. <laughs> yeah, um, cool. More money to spend. Yep, yeah, fantastic. Always, always money to spend, isn't there? But yeah, them picking up battle axes is really cool, and and sort of uh, further evidence that they're sort of really sort of building their stuff up at the minute. So cool. All right, last thing I've got uh, is that nice America announced that the two Prinny games, uh, which were sort of action platformers that were originally released for PSP, uh, they are coming to Switch on one cartridge, uh, featuring both Prinny 1, Can I Really Be The Hero, and Prinny Tune, Dawn of Operation Panties Dude. Um, <coughs> so, yeah, make it that what you will. These are Disguise spin-offs, obviously. Um so, like, the, the, the second one, Operation Panties, is because some, someone has stolen Aetna's panties and the prinny hordes must uh, go and retrieve them for her. Because otherwise, there will be consequences. Um, but, yeah, I, I I haven't played these, uh, but I've always wanted to. Uh, and now uh, now I'll be able to get a lovely copy to put on my shelf and play on Switch and be able to play it on the TV as well, which is nice.
1: These are some of the earliest examples of that kind of, um, like, massacre <laughs> Side-scroller. So really, yeah. Yeah, it's like one-hit kills. Really difficult. <laughs> really difficult physics. Yeah, uh, they're they're they are tough as nails. <laughs> I don't think I ever got past the second level of the first one.
0: <laughs> Excellent.
1: Yeah, Excellent. they're a nightmare. Because you have a uh, limited lives too. I think then I think you have, you have ninety nine printies. I think, and that's it. Like you have to beat right. the game with. Oh, which okay. like it sounds like a lot. But then you yeah. play the first level and you burn through like thirty lives, and you're and you're like and you're like uh oh, because it's one of those games that you can't adjust your direction once you've committed to a jump.
0: Oh, oh Castlevania jumping! Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Cool. Well, um, yeah, if you want to, you can pre-order that now. Uh, nice America are doing uh, one of their collector's box versions of it for $60, which includes the game, um, Prinny's Scrapbook of Memories, which is presumably an art book, Prinny's Awesome Mix, which is presumably a uh, soundtrack, um, and then Can I Really Be a Prinny Block? Don't know what that is. Uh, and then Asagi Wars EX Alpha Championship poster. So That's exciting. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this 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 seems to be sort of Nice America following the um, the pattern they've done with a, a lot of their sort of more niche releases recently, which is where they do a really nice, very affordable limited edition that just gets like a single print run or so. So things like Lapis Labyrinth they did that for, and um, a few other things that they've uh, they've released like that as well. So oh. yeah, j- jump on that if you're interested in it. Oh, the the, the printy block is like one of those um,
1: mini Legos. Yeah, yeah. can't re- can't remember what they're called. There's a specific nano block,
0: nano blocks. That's it. Yeah, and it's it's a little printy with a with a dagger. That's super cute. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh yeah. Must <coughs> have.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, I might pre-order for myself that. Uh, this appears
1: much. to be another one of NIS's like the physical version is the collector's edition. Releases. Yes.
0: Yes. 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 That that that's that's what I mean. So that's that's why it's so sort of affordable in comparison to some of their other stuff. So sort of $60 will get you the game and a bunch of cool stuff as well, which is pretty reasonable. All right, cool. Anything else you want to bring up? No, I think that's it. It, There hasn't been a lot
1: going on lately, Mm -hmm. uh, which is fine by me because I got plenty to
0: play. Yes, and plenty of money to spend from the sound of things as well. (laughs) Oh, it's
1: income tax season in the in the in the states right now, so yes,
0: I, I I've, yeah I've seen that quite a few times on on Twitter on the last couple of days. Few people going, got my income tax refund time to pre-order all the things I've been wanting for ages. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah. okay.
1: <laughs> I uh, I got my I got my analog NT and and Mega SG in, mm-hmm. no. um. So that my afternoon will be consisting of hooking those up and checking those out. Nice nice
0: yes well i got uh, i got a few bits and pieces through the post today i got my my copies of mary skelter and uh oh, yes. Chronicle from a limited run finally uh, which is cool and also a bunch of 50p ps2 garbage that i bought from cex as well so i'm going to enjoy checking incredible. That out as well. i love
1: i love cheap ps2 stuff you find yeah. so many gems doing that though
0: yeah i know i know yeah a a significant part of my ps2 shelf is 50p garbage that i adore like because you guys got the simple
1: 2000 series yeah we didn't so like there's so much to like mine there how Mm -hmm. did you get moero chronicle and and uh mary skelter before me (laughs) i can like drive
0: to limited runs headquarters (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't know, but yeah, that arrived this morning so that's cool Alright, so I think it's time to take a short break and then we'll come back and we'll talk a bit about what we've been playing recently So we'll see you in just a moment Welcome back for our second segment. We're going to talk about what we've been playing recently. So uh, I'll hand over to you first of all. Chris, what have you been up to?
1: I have been playing a whole lot of Joymasher Studios' Blazing Chrome.
0: Ah, cool. Tell me more.
1: Yeah, so um, I know I've brought up Joymasher a couple times um, in previous episodes, but um, they are the folks behind Oniken and Odalis the Dark Call, which are respectively really well executed send-ups to like kind of specifically um in oniken's case that natsume era like side scrollers like shadow of the ninja and shatterhand um mm-hmm. with that really fast ninja and sense of movement um and odalis is kind of a tribute to a combination of castlevania and Uh, the Euro-style home PC platformers that had like, large, expansive, explorable stages. Yes. Um, So they've got a great reputation for this kind of 8-bit tribute kind of game. Um, And they are from Brazil, um, which is becoming a thing. Like, Brazilian development indie dev houses. Like, Horizon Chase. Yeah. Like, what's up with this, like, Brazilian renaissance? It's awesome.
0: Well, the the thing is that the Brazilian um games industry has kind of sort of always been stuck a little bit in the past from everyone else yeah so so now that sort of retro stuff is very fashionable a lot of those developers who um grew up playing playing like super nes games and until sort of like the early 2000s in some cases um they're now able to sort of leverage their love of those retro games directly into producing stuff like this. So yeah, this, yeah, it's not surprising to me at all, given the sort of background of gaming in that region. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's just really interesting to watch happen. Mm. Um, as I've mentioned in previous podcasts, I'm one of the things I'm really specifically interested, in, especially in the modern era with this with the indie sphere, is uh, regionality of game development. Yes. Yeah. Like like seeing what kind of games come from where and like what are what are some styles and trends we can track to like different regions and different countries. And I think that's really neat to, to yeah. see kind of national identity. It's something that happens a lot in um in cinema, you know, as well, obviously. Like talking yeah. about the German impressionist cinema and, and French New Wave and like it's really cool to see to see that extrapolated to the game development sphere as well. Yeah, so.
0: it's also really fascinating to me to see um, certain specific cultures paying homage to other ones as well. So like yeah. if we think of something like VA11 Hall A, which was Venezuelans paying homage to Japanese PC-98 games, and then compare that to something like Coffee Talk, which was Indonesians paying homage to Japanese PC-98 <laughs> games and seeing the different approaches that they took there. That's really fascinating to me. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I really like Joymasher, and I really like their output. Uh, I think they've got a, a ninja game in the works now, too. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. remember the name of it off the top of my head, but the footage is gorgeous. Um, but, yeah, so Blazing Chrome is their attempt to send up the run-and-gun. So mm-hmm. it's very much just 16-bit Contra today mm-hmm. um, with just a beautiful visual presentation, great music, and... Um, and it's uh, it's mostly Contra. Uh, specifically it feels a lot like Contra Hardcore on the Genesis, because if you're gonna ape Contra, why not ape the best? Mm-hmm. Um, but it also has little bits and bobs that are pinched from other run-and-guns to kind of give it its own identity. So, like, it's got a melee attack. If you tap the the fire but when enemies are near which comes from metal slug it's got a it's got a dodge roll it's it's so it's got a lot of other things all mixed up in there to make something that feels a little bit unique but also still very much makes you go oh i'm totally playing contra like it's it's great um there's little companion robot Power-ups you can collect, which definitely feel like a tribute to Shatterhand on the NES mm-hmm. when you would get those power-ups and the little robots would follow you. There's yep. one that increases your defense, one that increases your attack, or one that doubles your speed and gives you a double jump. So you're always trying to get those to, to change your performance. Um, there's all kinds of cool little gimmick stuff in there. There's uh, The first level has this amazing like raid on an enemy base where you're... Um, where there's a a helicopter gunship like following you in support of you and you can jump up and grab the railing on the bottom of the helicopter and shoot from that (laughs) and then if you're playing two player there's also a mech suit there that you can get to like jump in and so like one of you is like storming on the ground with like the mech suit with gatling guns the other you of you is hanging by one arm from a helicopter rail just like firing (laughs) indiscriminately it's like super bombastic it's really a pleasure to play Mm. Um, there's, uh, uh, auto-scrolling hover-bike sections. Um, there's one in a later level that's pretty much... I don't know why you would want to do this, but it's definitely a tribute to Battletoads. <laughs> like, it has, like, the the pits, the pitfalls, and, like, the... 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 the barriers that you have to jump over and, like, learn the... the, the rhythm and memorize where the pits are versus where the jumps are. Yeah. Um, there's, um, one of the later stages totally flips everything around and has a 3d reticle shooter section mm-hmm. where it's like star fox but like you're a dude in a rocket <laughs> pack awesome like incredible like big bosses uh there's like these incredible moments in it too where it's like i i almost want to call it like it's really like it's cinematic like yeah. the, there's a there's a really unique sense of like like cinematic presentation to this game so like like you get to the the se- the whole second level takes place so you're trying to take out an enemy supply train so like part one of the level is the hoverbike chase while you're trying to catch up to the train and then you then you board the train and then you raid the train and then you the whole level is like the end of the train to the front of the train and then you get to the front of the train you you emerge from this tunnel like you go out, you see the mountains, you see the sunset, the camera swings a little bit like pixel art way. Like, it just kind of shifts the, the the viewpoint a bit. And uh, there's lens flare off the sunset and you see, like, a glint <laughs> in the distance and then the freaking boss swoops in like this giant, like, <laughs> metal angel. And then it, like, Fs you up immediately by, like, summoning Thunderbolts. It's like, they, they just really wanted... To make this cool, like I know, yeah. cool is like a terrible <laughs> adjective, but it's <laughs> like there's like when my buddy and I played this for the first time, like co-op, and almost beat it through. We we're just screaming the whole time, like no way, no way, <laughs> like. And that's that's what it's all about, man. <laughs> that's what it's all about. Um, there's unlockable characters. Um, there's also one of my favorite things in the world. Delightful crunchy digitized
0: speech. Oh nice. That is like so purposefully bad. Like sort of Genesis style. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like let's play
1: some chrome <laughs> and there's like static <laughs> and like like I can't like it's so good. Yeah, uh, it, it's I'm really in love with this game. They've they've yeah. made something really special.
0: I remember we we used to refer to that kind of speech as mouthful of cornflakes speech. That's that's I accurate. That's yeah. And tinfoil,
1: <laughs> just like bits of tinfoil. <laughs> it's yeah, it is. Uh, it's incredible. Um, I oh, can I great. cannot praise this game enough. It's so much fun. Like I'm probably gonna play it after we're done recording, just because I've been hype hyping myself up
0: talking about <laughs> it. Again. Nice. Oh, sounds great. Sounds great. Cool. Anything else you've been up to then? A uh, little bits of stuff, but that's kind of what I've put the
1: most time into recently.
0: Okay, cool. All right. Um, There's sort of uh, two main things that I've been spending my time with recently Um, and uh, a couple of other things I actually can't talk about at the moment. Um, Mm -hmm. A couple of you may have seen recently that uh, I've been doing a bit of uh, a bit of freelance contributing to uh, Nintendo Life uh, recently. So I did a review of uh, Prison Princess for them a while back, which is an interesting sort of room escape style uh, adventure game. Um, and I've got a, a couple more assignments on the way for them. That, uh, like I say, I can't talk about too much in the minutes. But uh, sort of later this month, you will see uh, two more reviews from me on uh, over on Nintendo Life. So that's cool. Uh, the things I can talk about are the things that I've been covering on Moe Gaming recently, which are the uh, Psycho Su- Shooting Stars collection and Atelier Iris. So I'll start with the Psycho stuff, as this is my first encounter with a lot of these games. Uh, but I know. You said you're a, you're a big fan of Psycho stuff, and yeah, I always d- have been. Yeah, didn't you say it, it sort of really got you into modern shooters in some ways? Yeah, I
1: wasn't a big shooter guy for most of my life, but then I just like happened to pick up a copy of Strikers 1945 on the PS1 for like 14.99 mm-hmm. in a budget bin, and yeah. like my my life has kind of never been the same since. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like I got like I got that, and um, like later down the line, I. Um, I got. Uh, I didn't really really get into shoot 'em ups until like the Dreamcast era, right? Um, but like Gunbird Two on the Dreamcast, I used to play religiously. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we had a bit of a discussion, and we had and a game we had mentioned in previous discussions was um, uh, Soul Divide.
0: Yes, yes. Um,
1: and that was another one where like Soul Divide was released by a weird publishing house on the PS1 in the states as like a 1999 budget title. Mm-hmm. So, like i just grabbed it because i thought the cover was cool you know i was mm-hmm. kind of too young to know what i was really doing but like i, I always used to love that games so, like like you know in retrospect now i recognize those are, those are all psycho titles but um, mm-hmm. yeah I've, i like psycho stuff a lot and um i think psycho games very specifically have a really unique uh sense of movement and weight and feel yes. to the way their yes. ships move which is not not like other developers shooters mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. So, so 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 far I've played the three Strikers nineteen forty five games and Soul Divide. And there's there's definitely a distinctive feel to it and a a very strong feeling of physicality to the weapons, especially in the striker series. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you could there's there's a real strong sense of feedback from your weapons and you like you can practically feel the bullets ripping through the enemies. Just sort of the, the visual and audible feedback you get from the various different weapons that you unleash in that is just so satisfying and it's yeah it's really really good i really really like those games um the the third one um i i am very bad at because it's considerably harder than the first two but uh, yeah the, the they're all great games um and i i actually very pleasantly surprised myself with those because i, I was i tend to prefer sort of more what i think of as more sort of outlandish sci-fi spaceship shooters and that sort of thing uh-huh. and i'd kind of gone in with the sort of preconception that it's like oh striker's 1945 that's 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 going to be fairly drab and boring world war ii stuff. But, <laughs> but no <laughs> no no these no. games
1: are batshit crazy
0: Yes, yes. No, you you're you're there flying a Spitfire against a train which suddenly jumps into the air and turns into a giant mechanical spider and <laughs> and starts and starts throwing things at you and you're just like, Oh my god, this is wonderful
1: <laughs> Yeah, like the original strikers on like the on like the NES, like the eight bit was drab, but like the, mm-hmm. the psycho ones are like nonsense like pure nonsense. <laughs> like, it's Be- delicious.
0: But yeah, they're a ton of fun, and they've got some interesting mechanics, and uh, again, I appreciate the fact that they, they have some challenging bullet patterns in them, but they're not bullet hell games, so yeah. um, there's a, a very distinctive sort of feel to them of learning the levels and learning the enemy patterns, and um, the, the the wide choice of different um, planes you can fly, and their weapon laid as well, really makes them interesting as well, because They're more than just aesthetic differences. There's very strong differences in feel between how all those different weapons operate and how the charge Mm -hmm. attacks work and even how the bombs work in many cases. So, yeah, you can have a very distinctive experience in two different playthroughs just by picking a different plane at the start. And as for Soul Divide, wow. Um, Yeah, Soul Divide is very, very strange indeed, but yeah, I kind of love it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's cool, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so Soul Divide. If you've not come across it before, it's it's a technically it's a side-scrolling shoot 'em up, but it's structured very differently to any shoot 'em up that I've played before. In that it's it's almost structured a bit more like a em up. In that you have enemy encounters that you need to clear before you can move on. So like you'll you, you'll. You will start each stage with like a, a very, very brief swarm of popcorn enemies, and then you'll get like maybe four or five enemies that appear on screen that need a significant amount of shots, uh, and or melee attacks, because you can melee attack in Soul Divide as well, um, to dispatch. And so rather than learning a whole level's worth of attack patterns and so on, you basically have to learn how these individual characters attack you and deal with fending off four or five of them at the same time. Which is very different to any other shoot other map that i've played but it, it gives the whole thing a really distinctive experience um and then of course you got the uh, sort of ray harryhausen bosses which are just incredible yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: yeah i'm so glad we get to revisit soul divide because uh, you know we brought it up in our episode specifically about games with like chunky physical visual aesthetics
0: yeah yeah, but those bosses are incredible. I mean, they, they just look like stop motion animated models, and it's it's just wonderful. It's just absolutely wonderful, and the way they sort of shoot out these digitized flames at you, and <laughs> it's it's fantastic. I love it. I love it. It's a yeah. great game.
1: Yeah, it's really cool, and, and I've, I've never played anything like it. The only thing I can, the only thing I can liken it too that's came out since was um, a Kai Katana.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, a- yeah, yeah. That was that was cave wasn't it i think yeah 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 i haven't haven't spent a lot of time with that actually i do actually own a copy of the xbox 360 version of that because that was in that brief period when cave games got officially released in europe as well so i did pick up a copy of that but uh, i've not spent a significant amount of time with it i should uh, definitely have another look at that at some point I remember that having a very complicated store- scoring system, which is nothing unusual for a cave game. I know. Sure. But, uh I remember Akai a- a- Katana was particularly complicated. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Um, I just, I have a really, I have a really soft spot for um, like shooters of the shooter, shooter subgenre that, like, you are just a magical person that is flying.
0: Yes. Yeah. Does that
1: does that sound stupid? But there's like a couple. No. Games no. No. I know like exactly that. what
0: you mean. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I, I like that. I've always liked Death Spells for that reason because you're a cute girl flying through the sky, shooting things. Um. Yeah. No. It's it's just, it's a thing. I'm sure. Absolutely. All right, yeah, so I'm I'm currently working through game by game of the two Psycheo collections on MarioGamer.net. So uh, as you hear this, I'll be continuing to cover some of the other games in the Alpha collection. I think I've got Dragon Blaze and uh, Zero Gunner left to go in the Alpha collection. And then there's the uh, Beta collection, which has... Uh, gunbird and gun and some other ones i can't remember offhand it's got the samurai aces as well in there i think oh yeah yeah i can't wait for you
1: to play gunbird Mm. gunbird is such a colorful like cartoony fun time like the characters are so much fun
0: yeah yeah looking forward to that one so that'll be very soon i'm sure
1: i wonder if they're going to localize the third one because there's three collections in japan and asia
0: yeah i've not heard anything about that yet um but I mean, you never know uh, these days, do you? Sometimes they'll just sort of sneak something out and say, "Oh, by the way." <laughs> yeah, that's true. So we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully they will. Hopefully they will, because the again, these were versions that NAS America did some really nice sort of uh, limited print collectors editions of that have mm-hmm. they have they have three CD soundtracks in there, which is nice. So it's like full soundtracks for all of the games that are in the collection. That's um, incredible. Because these yeah. games also have good music, but that's not a yes.
1: surprise for shooters. Like that's kind yeah. of expectation.
0: Yeah, definitely. So yeah, it's definitely nice to have a, a full collection of all those. Um, the art book's a bit pathetic because it's just like a little thing that they tucked in the switch case rather than the full on art book. But uh,
1: oh, I hate when they do that.
0: Yeah. So uh, I, I also mean, that, though, that's it's cute. That's, like I love yeah. those little books. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that was a slight letdown. But like I say, with with like a big big box of cds in there i can't complain too much for sure all right uh, so the other thing that i've been covering on my game.net is part of the atelier mega feature that i'm doing at the moment which is atelier iris eternal mana uh, oh yes can't, that's remember, gush. can't remember if i've talked about it on here uh, before i don't think i have but no not yes yes yeah, so um so i know that um you you haven't played a lot of the more recent atelier games but you have a lot of a lot of fond memories of uh, Eternal Manor in particular, don't you? say? So. This is
1: this is yeah, this is the this is the Atelier game I like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is This is the Atelier game I like. I I don't like the other two in the series nearly as much. And then when I found out that the other ones were more like basically when I found out that Eternal Mana was the outlier that played nothing like standard Atelier games. That's how I knew this series wasn't for me because, like, <laughs> I, I like I loved Eternal Mana so much, yeah, and I and I didn't like two and three in the Iris series nearly as much. So mm-hmm. um, when I found out that those hewed closer to a traditional Atelier experience, that's how I knew I didn't care.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's fair enough. So, so to give some context to that for those who haven't encountered the series before, so what what we describe as a traditional atelier experience tends to be um the majority of your gameplay would be based around a workshop and uh, and a small town usually and you usually find yourself um sort of uh, having having a major objective which is often against a time limit and then very smaller objectives and uh, all of which involve crafting items in some way. So the, the the gameplay tends to go back and forth between going out into the world to go and collect ingredients from mm-hmm. field areas and from monsters and that sort of thing, and then coming back to town and crafting things and engaging in various events around the town and that sort of thing. Uh, what Eternal Mana did was it basically, it basically took that concept, but then it really played up the sort of traditional um, RPG-style aspects surrounding it. So rather than being you're still sort of based in one place in eternal mana but there's much more of a sense of going on a journey and going around and exploring and an unfolding plot happening in different places rather than the plot happening back at your workshop um so yeah it's it's a much more sort of conventional rpg style thing where you get a party together and Like, your party hangs out and they get to know each other and the characters fall in love and there's sexual tension between a couple of them and all that sort of thing. And there's an adorable cat girl who's the best. Um, (laughs) Yay! (laughs) um, But yeah, what I really like about Eternal Mana is that it it does the things that I like about conventional Atelier games, which is having a really strong sense of world-building and characterisation for even the most random of NPCs. Uh, But then it wraps that around... A conventional rpg structure so you kind of get a best of both worlds thing going on so mm-hmm. um and that gives it a very unique feel as well to me because we tend to think of um rpgs of this type as being strictly linear for the most part and eternal mana it, it does have a linear main plot but at any given point in that narrative there are so many additional side activities that you can go and do that it doesn't feel linear it always feels like you have a lot of choice in what you can go and do Mm -hmm. so it always feels like you can go and visit one of the shopkeepers and get some ingredients for them for them to craft things and then that will trigger some events with them where you get to know them a bit better and then it turns out that like the different shopkeepers they have relationships with one another so like triggering an event in one place will trigger an event somewhere else and then you just start getting really invested in these characters as well. Like, you start getting really into the soap opera of these characters' lives. And you're like, oh, I really want to help the magic shop owner out because she's really sad that her brother died and she wants to kill herself. And I don't want her to kill herself because I do this. But if I help her make this item, she might still kill herself. And I'm like, oh, I'm really upset about that. And, and then you go and help the bakery lady try and... Um, uh try and make her ultimate suite so she can impress the owner and open a sweet shop instead of just having to bake bread all day and that sort of thing and it's it's oh it's just an amazing sense of world building in that game and i just absolutely love it and uh yeah just just mechanically it's really solid as well it's got a really satisfying battle system with sort of things like interrupt attacks and sort of delayed moves and um doing alchemy in the middle of battle and that sort of thing as well yeah that's and neat. there's some there's some really nice um sort of towards the end of the game um it really sort of it, it does that thing where it kind of brings a lot of the mechanics from the rest of the game together so while you're exploring the final dungeon uh you have to make use of a lot of these skills that you've unlocked throughout the game so there's a lot of exploration based skills so like you can blow up blocks and you can um summon a a particular mana to stand on and you get the ability to fly around places and in this final dungeon you have to use all of these things at different points to to get around and then um that carries right up to the final boss as well the final boss is probably one of the more challenging final bosses i've had in an rpg um because it's it, it's got very high health um it's got a lot of attacks that can pot- potentially kill you but it's also quite vulnerable to doing things like the uh, the various sort of interrupt attacks and things you can do. So you can actually sort of interrupt a lot of its instant kill moves and that sort of thing. So you really need to have a good understanding of how the the core mechanics of the game work in order to finish it. Um, and I, I really like that rather than it just being a, a, a bit of a slog with dramatic music. So isn't yeah.
1: one of the late game bosses in that game busted? Like either the end boss or one of the, like the super bosses. There's, like, one for, where, like, if you don't kill it in, like, a certain amount of time, the game will just, like, for, shit itself for, and erase your save file or something. For or is some
0: it Atelier? The, for I mean,
1: for some... Are, um, it's, or
0: Tonelico, maybe. There's one of these... 2's two, final boss is broken for some people. Uh, I didn't have a problem with it. I think they actually fixed that for the European version. Okay. Um, Atelier Iris, uh, again, for some people, I think there is a bug towards the end of the game where if you have the speech turned on it will crash uh again i didn't encounter that problem so i don't know if they fixed that for the european version but i certainly didn't encounter a problem with it last night when i beat it so um but i think i think the, the north american version might have an issue in that area
1: I just remember um, when like I was talking to you the other day, and you were like, "I'm getting to the end of Eternal Mana, and, like I'm ready to fight the last <laughs> boss," and I was like, "I hope it doesn't like shit itself and erases save file, because <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a possibility."
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't think the problem is that major when it happens. I think it's just that it, it it crashes and it doesn't play the full ending, um, which is which is obviously still heartbreaking, especially when you have like a half an hour fight before that, but um. <laughs> But still, yeah, I, I didn't encounter that when I when I played it last night. So hopefully it won't happen again because I I need to do it a second time to get the the full ending uh, um. when you when you load your, your post game data. So um, yeah, hopefully that won't happen. I'm going to give that a try after we're done here today. But yeah, Ooh. I've been really enjoying that, um, and it's been sort of a, a very nice contrast to the the Italia games that I've had experience with today, which is mostly the Ireland series. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how things develop from here. Because there's a lot of that series left to go and a lot of different people I've spoken to all have different different favorites in the series, so very intrigued to explore where it goes from there. But yeah, I've had an absolute blast with the tunnel mana.
1: Oh, I'm so glad. It's such a great series.
0: Yeah, good stuff. Um, and I think that's pretty much everything that I can talk about for now. So I think it's probably time that we take a quick break, and then we'll come back and we will continue our beat-em-up discussion. So we'll see you in a moment. Welcome back for our third segment. Like I say, we wanted to continue our discussion from last time, because last time we rabbited on for ages about the golden age of beat-em-ups and didn't really get into any of the sort of modern stuff that we'd uh, taken some notes on. So there are some some sort of modern beat-em-ups that we specifically want to mention. And then there's also the fact that we can talk a little bit about... Uh, what I think of as beat-em-up adjacent games which are Mm -hmm. styles of gameplay that incorporate elements of beat-em-ups but they're they're obviously their own distinct thing in their in in their own different ways as well so um as a sort of natural progression from last time then should we just start with the sort of modern beat-em-ups that we wanted that we wanted to talk about a bit
1: yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that's the thing to do. I had a little bit of a kind of a transitory stuff I wanted to talk about too, right? Cause okay, like, okay. We spoke more specifically about kind of the old old stuff and like arcade stuff in like the late sixteen bit, early thirty two bit era. Um, I just wanted to take a minute to touch on a, a little niche that doesn't get mentioned a lot, which is the Dreamcast era.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Um like specifically like the Naomi arcade board Dreamcast beat em ups. Um okay. stuff like like uh Dynamite Cop and Zombie Revenge. Mhm. Um, so like these were games that were definitely beat em ups, right? Yes. They had combos and hit stun a heavy emphasis on timing animation awareness and crowd control like all the stuff we talked about defining a beat-em-up but they didn't have that belt scrolling presentation right they they leveraged the greater power of the naomi arcade board and um and what the dreamcast was capable of in processing and usually had either like an overhead or like an isometric or like a behind the back camera style sometimes shifting camera styles based on the situation for a more cinematic presentation but these were still very much beat em ups they just weren't yeah. belt scrollers yeah which uh, and they were great um mm-hmm. dynamite cop was great dynamite cop had like tons of weapons right like, yep. if you wanted to, like, pick up an arcade cabinet and smash it over someone else's head, <laughs> like, like that was cool. You could do that. And the um, and, uh, obviously, I mean, uh, we're such f- fans of 2D and, and pixel art and, and 2D styles, but, like, one of the things that 3D really allows in games is, is, is uh, playing with scale and, like, to, to create crazier stuff. So, like, there's, like, a classic boss battle in Dynamite Cop where you're fighting a freaking octopus in the belly of a cruise ship (laughs) (laughs) like and like stuff like this wasn't really possible to that sense of scale in um you know in in a 2d game yeah uh, to have it executed quite quite well enough so uh, these games really opened up greater avenues for like how bombastic and crazy like a beat-em-up could get essentially
0: yeah definitely definitely i i haven't played dynamite cop myself but i did play zombie revenge quite a bit i remember that being that being a lot of fun and yeah. I, I remember at the time that came out it felt quite unusual to play a game with that sort of structure again because at that point in time sort of home video games were not not in not exclusively trying to move away from the arcade structure but it was it was getting rarer to see sort of specifically arcade structure style things so mm-hmm. I kind of went into Zombie Revenge expecting something a bit more console style, uh, yeah. and then I was re- I was very pleasantly surprised when I when I went in there, and it was it was basically an arcade game, um, with uh, yeah, I, I, a lot to like about it for sure. Yeah, I mean, um, that
1: game got savaged, you know, as you can imagine, the press yeah. for for just being a, an arcade game that you could beat in a half hour.
0: Yeah, yeah, but
1: that's what the Dreamcast like. The Dreamcast was the last bastion of the home arcade.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Like so many Dreamcast games were home arcade ports, and that's one of the reasons it's so beloved today by like thoughtful game fans because mm-hmm. it's that's a thing that's dead now. But like Dynamite Cop, Zombie Revenge, House of the Dead, Crazy Taxi, uh, Charge and Blast, um, all the fighting games, just. Uh, tech romancer like th- that was what the dreamcast did was like yeah. beautiful beautiful arcade ports
0: yeah yeah and I, th- I, I think a lot of people sort of went into something like zombie revenge expecting to play resident evil or something like that and it's sure yeah and, it, and i mean sort of to a certain extent you can you can sort of understand that based on the way that it sort of uses camera angles and cutscenes and that sort of thing but once you start playing it it should become pretty clear that no, that's not what it's doing at all. It's it, it's being an old school beat em up. Um, yeah, I I remember having a good time with that. I remember playing it co-op with some friends, and I remember um, I remember having a lot of fun with the, with both of us just saying bullets to each other all the oh, time. Oh yeah, just because just because the voiceover in it is so funny. <laughs> I forgot about that. I just wonder, I go and go bullets. Uh, There's something yeah.
1: specific about like the like game sound they like game sound effect like voiceover sound effects like that like i was just talking to a friend of mine the other day about how like like you know you love light gun games as much as i do yeah. and like i love house of the dead and the very specific reload like yeah and like never in my life for the past 25 years have i ever refreshed a web page <laughs> without going <laughs> reload <laughs> reload in, in, in my head like it's it's i it's like my brain does it automatically yeah it's my no, favorite I,
0: I, I do that when playing first person shooters with friends as well i, I do that as well and also uh, time crisis action whenever <laughs> you whenever you start doing something yeah actually no i'll tell you I'll tell you what else time crisis got uh, that, that got that we do as well is is we discovered very early on um that the original PS1 version of Time Crisis in Europe, it, it, it had dubs for all the European languages on the disc as well. Okay. So, so we used to play it in German, and it was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Just, be, just because you'd be playing through it and it'd be going "Aufladen, Aufladen." <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, just stupid, stupid stuff like that. It was like, arcade games were made for that sort of thing. I, I I know that a lot of people are very fond of like, um, is it Metal Slug that has heavy machine gun? Yeah, heavy machine gun. Yeah,
1: flamethrower, yeah,
0: <laughs>
1: ground charger. I, I, I love, I love the voiceovers. And <laughs> thank you. When you like save like the the hobo like POWs and they like take their underwear and give you power ups. Yeah, uh, I, love, I love arcade sound effects.
0: Yeah, but yeah, I think that's, that's a big part of the sort of appeal of it, of it isn't it? I, think, I mean, I've talked about sort of what I think of as the distinctive um, Sega presentation of things, which is, is sort of things like having giant numbers on screen and that sort of thing, like big time displays that count down in hundredths of a second because it's more dramatic and that Ooh, sort of thing. Dynamite Cop um, has that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Um, yeah, and, and, and those sound effects are a, a very big part of that sort of thing. And beat-em-ups are a good example of where you'd encounter that sort of thing pretty frequently. So even stuff like um, in a lot of games where you sort of get the little arrow pointing go on onwards, so like some of them would speak that as well. They'd be like, go, go, go.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. And even yeah. the ones that didn't have speech, there would just be this delightful, like, chirp. or like yeah. yeah, I love it. And that's such a huge part of the beat-em-up. Yeah. like you know, we talked about like just like the satisfying, like what is a beat em up without satisfying punch sound effects? Yeah. Just like a, a like a billiard ball being thrown into a stake <laughs> Like I like I can't. It's so good.
0: Yeah. I I think this this is an important part of the genre as a whole, isn't it? Because it's it's sort of it's one of those genres that really embraces its gameness. Um, yeah. And that it sort of yes it might try and have sort of realistic brutal looking moves and so on but it also makes a real effort to remind you that yes you are playing a video game and this is ridiculous and you should be having fun with it and yeah that that carried on with these Dreamcast games that you're um that you're talking about here i'm just watching some zombie revenge footage now and uh yeah it's it, it it's absolutely built on that sort of thing it's there's like things like when your time gets down to less less than 10 seconds there's a big flashing message in the middle of the screen going there's no time yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> so good i wanted to talk about Cannon spike too but then i remembered that's more of a shooter mm-hmm. um but that I, I i very much like i consider Cannon spike part of this like group but uh yeah that's but that that, that was a sh- more of a like a twin stick shooter honestly okay. it's not not a, not a beat-em-up doesn't have the mm-hmm. same gameplay emphasis, but it has a very similar presentation. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So then, like, kind of transitioning. Also, like before the indie sphere, I also wanted to talk a little bit about Legend of Mana.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: Did you ever play Legend of Mana?
0: No. Man- mana games are. I think I've said before a bit of a black spot in my knowledge. So. Okay. Yeah, what's 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 the deal with this one then?
1: So Legend of Mana was a really interesting game. It's technically the fourth game in the Mana series. Um, And it it surprised a lot of people because it wasn't really a big open uh, action RPG in like the traditional sense as the first three had been. Um, So it has towns to explore and it's very much an RPG. You've got weapons and your character that levels up. But, like, when you go into dungeons, it's it's a belt-scrolling beat-em-up.
0: Right, okay.
1: Just, like, a beautifully rendered cartoony fantasy belt-scrolling beat-em-up. Okay. But it, a lot of the things we attribute to that presentation specifically, like, a heavy focus on spatial awareness, enemy management, um, a lot of hit stun and timing, um, even as far as the movement goes. So, like... Uh, it was noticeably different from prior Mana games because you, um, you know, in an action RPG, you have a very certain expectation for, like, this specific style of, like, four-directional or, like, eight-directional movement, right? Like, if I turn around and walk into the foreground or background, I'm going to see my character's back.
0: Yeah. Or I'm
1: going to see my character's face. Um, That happens in towns in Legend of Mana, but it doesn't happen in dungeons. Okay. It's, it's very much belt scroll. Like, it, your character shuffles up and down. Like, if you walk into the distance, into the background, or the or forward into the foreground, like, you shuffle, but you're still facing sideways in just the way you would expect from a belt scrolling beat-em-up. Yeah. So, so it was very weird. Like what is this I'm playing? And like I remember as a kid being like, why is this Streets of Rage? Like I, I was like con- <laughs> I was like confused by it. Um it's good. It's 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 an incredible game, very different. Um and it kind of spearheaded what would become a hallmark of the mana series from three forward, which is in the same way of in the Final Fantasy vein, like no two mana games are really the same anymore. Like mana mm-hmm. games are always like radically experimental. Yeah. after legend um but it's weird because it leveraged belt scrolling beat up gameplay with an rpg
0: yeah yeah and that's and, uh, that's that's cool i mean i i remember sort of sometimes playing beat ups and thinking yes this is cool but it it this would be really cool if it was in a longer game so yeah i'm kind of sorry i haven't played that because it was it sounds like exactly the sort of thing i'd really enjoy
1: yeah and and it's Dropped at gorgeous yeah like unbelievably gorgeous um yeah it's it's a really interesting game and it's kind of a really strong proof of concept of kind of the evolution of beat-em-ups we started talking about earlier right in the first episode which is like what i like to call the children of kunio kun yeah. right like yeah when, when kunio kun and river city ransom came about they made a, a line in the sand about like now this is for the home this yes. is a beat-em-up for the home so let's put more meat on those bones let's give rpg elements in the mix where you can level up develop a character collect currency to buy items uh, a larger map to explore like that mm-hmm. kind of stuff and legend of mana was kind of like a crowning point of that in like 1999 like this was an rpg like a full-fledged mm. rpg with towns and weapons to collect um but also with traditional belt scrolling gameplay for the action portions
0: yeah definitely yeah i i think along those lines it's probably worth mentioning um crimson tears as well isn't it oh uh,
1: yeah oh yeah crimson tears is great a great example of this because it's um It'll, when I think about the action in Crimson Tears, it felt a bit like Zombie Revenge and Dynamite Cop. Yeah. That, like, that, like, weighty beat him up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so so, so Crimson Tears, for those who haven't come across it before, this was developed by... Um, what were they called? Dream Factory? Was yeah. It? yeah. Yeah. So Dream, Dream Factory, um, they originally made um, air guides on... Um, PS1, which was probably best known for being the 3D fighting game that had Final Fantasy VII characters in it. But one of the interesting things about Air Guys was the PlayStation version, as well as having a full port of the arcade version, also had this surprising inclusion of a complete dungeon crawling action RPG in there as well. Yeah. Um, and what Crimson Tears is, is basically um, taking that idea and then building that off into its own original game. And so what you've got is basically it's it's kind of a, kind of a sort of um, almost a mystery dungeon style structure in that you go into randomly generated dungeons. Um, but rather than just sort of exploring a maze as you do in a conventional turn-based mystery dungeon game, um, you you move into different rooms. And typically you have to clear a room of enemies before you can move on to the next one. And that's where the sort of beat-em-up thing comes in. So you, you have this environment through which you can move and you have to kill all the enemies using your character's various moves and combo attacks and different weapons and that sort of thing there's a really nice feeling of, of physicality to the combat in crimson tears as well um but then there's also a few additional mechanics you have to manage in there like this uh there's a heat mechanic so that like your character can overheat which means that they can um massively increase their attack power but they also drain their health and lose a lot of defense as well so there's some additional mechanics going on there as well but yeah crimson tears is a really cool game um that i i like a lot um and it's a, another good example of of taking the conventions of beat 'em up mechanics and so on and then fitting them into a different structure that is very much designed for the home rather than for the arcade experience uh, but yeah it's a super cool game that's well worth checking out if you've got access to a to a ps2
1: I remember when I first told you to check that out, and then you like grabbed the copy, and it like totally like wrecked you. You were, you were like so, you were like so into it for like a couple weeks. That's it's a great. Good, that's a. It's one of the coolest games that nobody ever played. Yeah, yeah. Nobody it's... played that game. It had a beautiful cell shaded character, like character models. Like, what a game!
0: Mm. Yeah, fantastic game, fantastic game. I really should get and finish it at some point. I got to a point where. Where it was getting a bit difficult, um, so I, I kind of set it aside for a little while. So actually, I should definitely get back to that at some point. But uh, yeah, there's, there's some some really cool boss fights in that as well. I remember a lot of sort of really interesting sort of pattern recognition boss fights and that sort of thing. And it also did um, kind of um, a proto Dark Souls "Go and get your body" thing as well, didn't it? Because yeah. Like yeah. if 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 one of your characters died, you could then go in and send one of the other characters to rescue them, but you you had to do that against a strict time limit, and the only way you could find them was by following audible prompts, which is mm. really interesting. Um, and then if you pulled that off, you could get some nice experience bonuses for that as well. That's so, yeah. from like
1: that's a, that's a holdover from like the Diablo action RPG.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. But uh, yeah, super cool game. Definitely well worth checking out.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of really interesting stuff in that kind of 32-bit and PS2-era, like, transitory period. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I know we had mentioned kind of yesterday when we were talking, like, there's a couple games that I I lamentably haven't played, but that definitely, like, function in this sphere, too, which was uh, Squaresoft's Bouncer Mm. um, on the PS2. And there was also an American-developed successor to Final Fight, Final Fight Streetwise. Um, Yeah. I haven't played either of those myself, but uh, no, I, I haven't either. I, I know Bouncer is quite well regarded.
0: Hmm. Yeah, B- Bouncer was um, sort of one. Of, it was one of the. Was it a launch game for PS2?
1: Yeah, or at least early, P- like first year PS2. Or...
0: Yeah, certainly very early, and I remember it being quite a showcase title for PS2 in terms of sort of. Um, sort of smoothness and slickness of movement and number of characters on screen and sort of how, how much better the ps 2s 3d graphics were than the ps1 um it was sort of an a, an early showcase of sort of that i i always feel like ps2 has a very distinct sort of slickness about a lot of its early games and o- often that was an illusion created by heavy use of motion blur yeah. and looking looking at some footage of the bouncer it seems that yeah that was very much in evidence here as well but it's um yeah it's it's got that very distinctive early PS2 look about it, uh, for sure. But it's uh, one that one that I remember had quite mixed reviews for various reasons. Um, I, I think the one, big
1: thing was that just people were pissed that it was a SquareSoft game that wasn't an RPG. Yeah, <laughs> I, think that, I
0: think I think that was it. And also with it being with it being sort of a beat 'em up style thing, it was also quite short, uh, yeah. I believe, as well. Which which again sort of pissed people off because they expect they were at a point where they were expecting a, a home console game to be longer and then you have um the bouncer which i'm looking at a, a full story playthrough youtube video right now and it's 1 hour and 46 minutes so <laughs> yeah. yeah if you go if you go in there expecting a final fantasy you're going to be a bit disappointed but uh, to be fair it never it never positioned itself as such so you only sure. really have yourself to blame if you uh, if you went in with the wrong expectations so but yeah, no, I've I, I've never played that. It's one that I've always kind of meant to pick up, but I've never got around to for some reason. It's one you can get dead cheap these days as well, because being a launched PS2 game, it was super common as well. So um, I'll have to try and grab myself a copy of that at some point.
1: Yeah. So I mean, with that said, do you want to launch into discussing some of the modern indie stuff?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I think I think probably the. The place that I definitely would want to start and my sort of quintessential modern indie beat-em-up would be the dearly departed Scott Pilgrim game. Indeed. Yes. Um, so, this came out... It, when did this come out? It was 2010. quite a while ago now, so was 20, it? 2010. 20, 10 2010. years ago. Oh, yeah. Jesus, 10 years ago. Um, and it was it was an Ubisoft game, of all things. Um, yeah. And I remember it being... A huge surprise for everyone when it came out. Uh, one, for it being an Ubisoft game that wasn't an Ubisoft game. Uh, and two, for being really, really good. Yeah, um, It was
1: licensed, so what right did it have to be good? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> so so the, what they've done with the Scott Pilgrim game is that they had just taken the source material in, the, in kind of the loosest possible way and then built something inspired by it rather than that was sort of strictly following the story of either the comics or i think the the movie was around there uh, around that Yeah, this though, was a tie-in so. for
1: the movie specifically because it yeah. has a it if when you fire it up it has a pixel art universal and that's and that's why oh, yes, that's, right. that's yeah. why you can't buy it anymore. Yeah. Because Ubisoft lost the distribution rights with Universal. Like that's that's why the whole thing is like so like we when we say that when Pete mentioned earlier that uh, Scott Pilgrim's Deled departed Scott Pilgrim is the poster child game for psychos like me who are obsessed with only collecting physical titles now because you cannot buy Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, the game, anymore. It it does not exist on a marketplace for you to purchase anywhere. The only way to play Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is to have it, downloaded on a hard drive, Mm -hmm. or to have record that you bought it because, like, the PlayStation Store, for instance they can't legally prevent you from downloading it but you have to go like roundabouts into your purchase history to f- access it to redownload it like if your ps3 dies yeah um, yeah. but you cannot buy yeah. this game if you didn't buy this game when it came out and when it was commercially available then you can't get it now
0: yes I mean, and also legally. this was a console exclusive as well so there's not a particularly easy way to back it up either uh, so i mean i mean there are ways to sort of get backup versions and pirate copies of playstation 3 and xbox 360 games but it's a, it's a lot more it's a lot trickier and a lot more effort than it would be if it was available on pc as well yeah. which is uh, an awkward part of the whole thing but yeah it's a, it's a crying shame that this game isn't available anymore because it's fantastic it's so good it's it's an evolution of what you were just talking about with the Kunio kun games i mean let's that- be
1: let's be frank this is a Kunio
0: kun game oh yeah absolutely absolutely
1: <laughs> this so- is a hundred percent in all but name
0: yes 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 absolutely so you've you've got sort of uh the rpg mechanics you've got leveling up you've got going into shops to buy food which increases your stats um you've you've got a strong emphasis on replaying to power up your characters and sort of replaying levels and being able to beat stuff a lot more easily and yeah it's 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 a fantastic game and we should absolutely also mention the presentation as well which was um What's his name? Paul Robertson. Yeah, is it? Paul
1: Robertson. Yeah, this is the first. This is the first encounter I ever had with Paul Robertson's work. Yes,
0: same, same, same. So I, I think you know a bit more about him than than me. So do you want to give, give us a bit of context?
1: I mean, I don't really know much about him other than than the fact that I'm obsessed with his entire like body of work. Like <laughs> uh, he's he's one of my personal heroes. Um, I, you know, I don't know much about him as a person, but essentially, Paul Robertson is a very talented pixel artist with a very distinct visual style. Um, and he is most commonly known for his collaborations with, um, uh, well, so Scott Pilgrim versus the world, the people at Ubisoft who made this game would later leave Ubisoft and become Tribute Games.
0: Oh, really? That makes a lot of sense. So
1: so this is, this is Tribute Games. This was, this is a Tribute Game in all but name. Tribute Games didn't exist when this was made, but the development team at Ubisoft who made this would leave and found Tribute. So, so Paul Robertson kind of, it was their pal. So like net, when you play like mercenary Kings or curses and chaos or, um, Oh, what's that other game? Flint hook. Yeah. uh, It's all Paul Robertson because tribute loves working with him and they Mm -hmm. all work, they all work together. Um, so, I mean, we also have like Scott Pilgrim versus the world to thank for that. Like we wouldn't have Mm -hmm. tribute games if it wasn't for them. Um, yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, but I mean, Paul Robertson, besides his work in games, um, his kind of work has a lot of cross media potential. So he has the distinct honor of um, actually being asked by Fox to do a Simpsons opening. Oh, cool. It's so, like Paul Robertson actually did a full pixel art animated Simpsons opening. Um, nice. So like that's a real thing. Um, he he collaborates with uh, Adult Swim quite a bit to do promotional material for like Rick and Morty and like some of yep. their other properties. So like his works, there's a chance you've seen Paul Robertson's work whether you know it or not.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um,
1: he also makes these giant like thousand, multi thousand by multi thousand pixel animated posters, mm-hmm. which are unreal um and some of his work is kind of known for like it's being extremely irreverent like nudity gore but like a, but like with a cutesy presentation so it's like very strange and like off like off center <laughs> like he's his original work is quite amazing
0: yeah yeah i think i think after after playing Skull pilgrim i think one of one of the first things i saw of his um that was there was not a game or something like that was um pirate baby's cabana battle street fight 2006 I don't, uh, think I, know is, that. I don't know if you've ever seen that before but it's it's a 12 minute animation that is presented basically as a side-scrolling beat-em-up and it's it's all in black and white um and it's it's just fantastic um and again that's incredibly irreverent there's tons of blood and gore and ridiculous things going on and like the main guy beating people around the head with a baseball bat and knocking zombies' heads off and that sort of thing. It's it's just one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Okay, I have and, seen this. Yeah. I just didn't know what it was
1: called. Yeah. It's, this is it's, from it's,
0: 2006, so this is from
1: before Scott Pilgrim.
0: Yeah, yeah. And d- the thing I like about this is is basically the the sort of style of this is very much what he did in the Scott Pilgrim game. So, like, I, I looked at this game... Yeah, I looked at this video thinking, I want to play this game. And then I realized that I already had played this game because it was basically the Scott Pilgrim game.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So so Paul Robertson's thing very much is sort of having this sort of deliberately limited, using the sort of deliberate limitations on resolution and color palette and stuff like that, but then combining that with beautifully elaborate detailed smooth animations so like every animation he does has loads of frames to it so everything is super slick and you could see that throughout scott pilgrim the game as well with um like even even just like incidental stuff like the shopkeepers you'd walk into a shop and there'd be someone standing there and just like their idle animation would have ridiculous number of frames of animation in it Mm -hmm. and it was never to be a girl with massive tits jiggling up and down as well which was brilliant paul (laughs) robertson
1: specifically has a very unique and magical ability to render beautiful breasts with like eight pixels i don't know i don't know how he does it like with his color choice and like specific shape like and the way he animates bounce it's like this girl is like 16 by 16 and i'm in love and pixel, <laughs> pixels 16 by 16 pixels i'm like what the hell is going like he's amazing and like i specifically love his style not to make this like the paul robertson episode but like um paul robertson does very dark often black outlines yeah, yeah. and that's something that's <coughs> often frowned upon in the traditional pixel art community yeah as being lazy um so like I love that he's out there repping it because that's something I like to do in my style too. Is like, really distinct outlines that I don't downplay. Yeah. Um, so that gives all his work a very very cartoon look, and it's just stunning.
0: Yeah, I, I'm I'm a huge fan of that as well. It, it, it actually surprised me to hear you say that that's sort of frowned upon because it's it's always been kind of my favorite look of pixel art is that very very strong black outline of things of, of the of the just of the whole sprite and of the details and that sort of thing and like like you say that's a very distinctive part of of robertson's style as well and that's very much in evidence in scott pilgrim as well so yeah okay so i mean mean, scott pilgrim is definitely an excellent game and it's it like i say it's very much a cautionary tale for the digital age at the same time as well so um what other modern stuff have you got in mind that you wanted to mention
1: uh Double Dragon Neon.
0: Right. I've I've not played this. So tell me a bit more about this. Because so, I I do want to get on this, but I I just haven't gotten around to it yet.
1: Everyone needs to play Double Dragon Neon.
0: Uh <laughs> Double Dragon Neon
1: is from our good buddies at Way Forward. Yep. T- 2012 downloadable title. Never got a physical release because it was a downloadable title in the era before it was a thing. <laughs> right? Like Yeah. Um it's an official entry in the Double Dragon series, like, signed off by Technos, like, it's accepted. Um, it's got 3D polygonal graphics, but pure traditional belt scroller gameplay. Yeah. Um, the whole idea behind Double Dragon Neon is that it's got a postmodern presentation that emulates and celebrates the, like, the, the aesthetic of the 1980s.
0: This was one of the first games I remember doing this. Like, this is very fashionable to do now, but this I remember this being one of the first games to adopt that particular kind of neon soaked uh, synth wave aesthetic.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was not common. Not common um, eight years ago. Now it's like everything. But, like, Double Dragon Neon did that before it was cool. Um, and, like, it's not just the aesthetic, it's the music. There's, like,. Uh, jake kaufman soundtrack because it's way forward um but like there's there's like new wave songs like just brand new new wave songs like made in the 80s style like for like some of the soundtracks for some of the level soundtracks there's um so the whole like thing about the game is that the equipment you collect are tapes mixtape because mixtape cassettes um There's two different kinds, right? There's the stance tapes and the special move tapes. Um, You get to equip one of each. Um, The special move tapes are pretty self-explanatory, right? Like, oh, this one's a cyclone kick, this one's a bomb, this one's a heal spell, whatever. It governs which special move you get to use. But the stance tapes are really unique because they function more like job classes. Yeah. So it's not like a piece of equipment like a weapon or armor you equip but you equip a stance and that affects all of your stats like it 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 rebalances them yeah so it changes the way your character plays and behaves um and then some of them also confer bonuses so like there's a magician one right that gives you better magic regen so you're a little weaker but you can use your special moves more often yeah um the game also has a, uh, a parry mechanic. So you, it has a dodge roll and a block. Uh, if you block with proper timing, you, you you get what's called gleam. And when you have gleam, you do double damage. Okay. So there's like a risk taker mixtape you can equip where um, you have pretty weak stats, but the double damage gleam bonus lasts twice as long. Okay. So if you're good at the parries you can just keep that going constantly. Yeah. So there's all kinds of emphasis for replay, right? Because you're going to want to try the different levels over again with different combinations of move and stance. Um, then to add to that further replay value, the mixtapes get leveled up. Okay. Um, so they, every time you collect a double of a mixtape you already have, it levels up that mixtape. Okay. Um, so enemies drop them as loot you can buy them from shops so you're always powering yourself up changing your stats Um, there's a guy uh, they have level caps on the mixtape and you can go to the tapesmith and pay him to expand the level cap on the tapes so you can get more you can gain more and more power just it's it's really well made it's it's an example of how to do this right how to take the beat-em-up formula and make it into something with consistent replay value Mm. um heavy strong presentation it also has the best end credit sequence in any game i've ever played yeah
0: i i I, i've heard about this i haven't i haven't sort of experienced it for myself but yes i've heard about this yeah i'm just i'm just watching some some footage of this while you're playing this and Dear God, the feeling of impact to everything you do in this game.
1: Oh yes, it's yeah.
0: amazing. It's like even there, there was even like like a sequence where he he was just putting a key in a lock, and like the way he sort of winds up to do it, and then just slams this key into the lock, in the background—it's just like oh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You you you
1: feel this game. It's yeah. it's 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 a, it's a huge like extrapolation of what we talked about in last episode which was that in an age before rumble the use of satisfying sound effects and hit stun were something that made beat-em-ups very unique because it had a very specifically strong sense of physicality and double dragon neon is this extrapolated to the nth degree like the feeling Mm -hmm. of weight on the dodge roll is like heavy like the every hit you land especially if you parry or like the the feeling of wind up for the roundhouse kick, it's like unreal, and it's all done with anime, you know, animation, just good yeah. timing, proper framing, like it's just a really, it's, it's a tight package. It's a it's a mm. really well made game, and I'd give anything to have a physical copy of it.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, I know. I'm downloading when we're done here, then.
1: <laughs> oh, you'll love it. You'll absolutely love it. Oh
0: yeah, I'm absolutely sure. It's. It, I. I remember a lot of people talking about it when it first came out, and, and and thinking I'd love that, but just for one reason or another, I've just never never gotten around to it. But uh, yeah, I'm going to have to make some time for that. I think.
1: Also, the artist who did all the character art, he uh, goes by Genzomon. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's just <laughs> unreal. He's so good. His specific style—he's uh, very, very popular. Um, yeah, it's just—you know—if you've ever—if you've ever wanted to hear—if you've ever wanted to play a beat 'em up where the main enemy is a samurai tribute to Skeletor from from <laughs> from He-Man. Yes. It's like if you've ever—if you've ever wanted to have the experience of Skeletor kidnapping your girlfriend, and then you go on a beat 'em up adventure. To save her, which involves you getting in a dojo that turns out to secretly be a rocket ship, and then you have to, f- <laughs> and then you have, and then you have to fight ninjas in outer space while Skeletor berates you. Like, then Double Dragon Neon is the game for you.
0: Fantastic, fantastic.
1: It takes well, nothing I- seriously.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's probably a good segue to talk a little bit about River City Girls, then, isn't it?
1: Yeah, because in many ways, River City Girls just feels like a sequel to yeah. Double Dragon Neon.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so River City Girls is it is an official Kunio Kun game. Yeah. Um, but it's, it, it, it's sort of over over the years, Kunio Kun and oh, excuse me, uh, over the years, Kunio Kun and Double Dragon have kind of um, crossed over so that they they are now sort of unfolding in the same universe. I don't know if that was always the case, but it's, it certainly is now um and so throughout river city girls you can meet billy and jimmy and you can meet samurai skeletor he's now running a shop in a basement and (laughs) skull skull (laughs)
1: skullmageddon yeah
0: it's so good i like you go in there and it's like ah welcome to my shop (laughs) incredible
1: yeah he's great
0: (laughs) um but yeah, yeah, River City Girls takes takes that uh, sort of classic Kunio Kun structure in that it's, it, again, it's a beat-em-up for the home. It doesn't follow the arcade structure. It's uh, a free-roaming environment where you can go back and forth between different locations. You can level grind if you want to. You can um, collect items. You can buy things to increase your stats. Um, there is a linear storyline. There's side quests to do. Uh, there's bosses to fight. There's beautiful animated sequences introducing all those bosses. And, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really cool game. I, I, I really enjoy River City Girls.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's fantastic soundtrack's great too holy shit
0: yes yes again i think that's that's sort of taking a lot of cues from double dragon neon as well isn't it because there's there's again there's some sort of original songs as part of the soundtrack to river city yeah. girls and it, a lot of those again are sort of 80s synthwave inspired stuff and that kind of thing so
1: yeah yeah also i really loved the um the enemy recruitment mechanic
0: yes yeah
1: yeah so yeah. you can beat a- enemies into submission and then sometimes they'll have like a little indicator that you can recruit them and then they basically become like summons. They become your special, like a, a, an, an extra special move you can pull off. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah.
0: yeah, and then and then each of the different character types, they have their own unique animation and attack pattern and stuff like that. So so like some will come down and they will sort of roundhouse kick people in, in the face. Some of them have weapons that they will throw or shoot or that sort of thing. <laughs> i love the arnie inspired ones who are just like (laughs) Uh,
1: i can't deal with just like the pretty like class president girl one that like comes down like does her like flash kick then like checks her her face her face and her compact mirror (laughs) like flips her hair and then jumps away i'm like yeah it's so good But it, this is yeah. classic way forward, right? Just, like, such a beautiful attention to detail and animation and like even meaningless characters are so full of character because they're so dedicated to essentially the art of animation.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I mean that 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 extends to a lot of the static imagery as well. So, like, if you go into the um, into the various shops in the game, it shifts from the pixel art aesthetic to this sort of beautifully presented two D artwork of the two main characters and the shopkeeper. And each of the shopkeepers is unique, and they're they're presented in their own way, and they've got their own voices. And for those who sort of follow things like um, internet and YouTube culture, a lot of those voices are like guests from who are famous in their own right for various things. Um, so, like, if you if you watch Game Grumps, for example, then like Danny from Game Grumps is is either Billy or Jimmy. I can't remember which one he is. But oh, uh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, but like, you, like you show up there and he's like, "Hey, hey, dude, how's it going?" <laughs> and then like, like you, you meet the other one, you, the other one of Billy and Jimmy, who's running a dojo somewhere else, and he's constantly crying about missing his brother and stuff like that. It's brilliant. And there's so many sort of pleasant little sort of series fan service touches throughout that game.
1: Yeah, it's it's really good. Um, I don't think there was any surprise when it turned out to be really good, but it's no, it's really no. it's really good. I just I live in a constant state of wondering what way forward's going to do next.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's they are yet to steer me wrong with anything I've played from them. So, so yeah, it was like like as soon as Limited Run did that Way Forward bundle of three games a little while back, I knew that I was going to be a lot of money down (laughs) very shortly afterwards. Uh, Yeah,
1: that's a that's a really interesting pack of games too. Um, Mystic Bell is not technically a Way Forward game; they just published it. Yeah, but but it is beautiful and it is and it is made by uh, andrew Bado, which is who is perhaps one of the finest pixel artists working today like if mm. i had to list the top if i'd to list like the top five most talented like professional pixel artists like andrew Bado would be one of them we've yeah. mentioned two more of them in today's episode <laughs> <laughs> hank Nieborg and um and paul robertson
0: yeah um, yeah i think it's quite interesting how how a lot of these sort of really talented pixel artists of this type really gravitate towards this genre as well i think it's because this genre very much is very much set up for um kind of character centric pixel artists to really show their stuff because there's such a strong emphasis on uh characters from sort of a low angle and being close up and in your face and personal with them. That yeah, it's, it's really ideally suited to the kind of work that these guys do.
1: There's also a specific need for um, a very skilled animation framing, which is yes. a challenge that a lot of these guys gravitate towards um, because as we discussed the, the animation framing and the timing is essential for creating the illusion of like sense of weight. Um, so like people like Paul Robertson who are, excel at that are, are kind of drawn to this.
0: Yeah yeah definitely
1: so yeah a lot of good stuff um i also wanted to mention i don't know if this is one you've ever had an experience with but uh sacred citadel
0: i've i've heard of it but i've not played it
1: so sacred citadel is a really unique one um because it's uh it's from 2013 it's developed by Southend interactive um it's just as it's a spin-off arcade style game to the sacred action rpg franchise have you ever played any of the sacred (laughs)
0: games Again, I'm familiar with them, but I've not actually played them okay. for myself. But yeah, f- I am
1: familiar. The first two are like Diablo style mm-hmm. games. The yeah. third one's more of like a third person action game. But, um, uh, what's really interesting about Sacred Citadel is, first of all, like, presentation-wise, it's got a high fantasy setting with a really like painterly Western comic book style inspired look. So mm-hmm. um, I really like Sacred Citadel, especially in context of a lot of the other games we've been talking about today and in the previous episode, because most of the games we've talked about have either A, been Japanese, or B, trying to ape a Japanese style. Yes. Um, Sacred Citadel isn't really interested in that at all. Um, it's very Western in feel. So it doesn't have the same sense of weight, hit-stun, or any of that 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 we associate with a normal beat-em-up. So it's presented from the kind of traditional belt-scrolling perspective we've been talking about, but its entire sense of weight and movement is radically different from any of the other games we've talked about. It's a lot floatier, and the emphasis is more on combos that flow than it is on hit-stun. So... um, there's the same kind of importance to like enemy juggling and um and crowd control but because of the higher emphasis on movement and mobility um the way you have to handle that is a little different than in a japanese style beat up it's more yeah. about staying on your toes and chipping away at multiple enemies and like weaving in between them yeah and then there's also air juggles um like guilty gear style like you can launch your enemies into the air then jump up and then like hammer around them in the air and then knock them down like so there's a lot of interesting combo play that's possible because of its own unique identity in terms of the way combos and attacks work yeah Um, yeah there's three playable characters with like rpg like classes and they're all they're different Um, they level up and gain stats you allocate those stats by with points you're given every time they level up very much in a western rpg style Um, and the other thing that makes it really unique is that there's loot okay like this is going back to the the its roots as a spinoff of the sacred franchise right which are games in the diablo mold but you actually get equipment those equipments have random perks stat differences just like they would in a in a, action, a Diablo style action RPG, yeah. So that's I like this game a lot, and like I don't know anyone who has ever played it. Like I've never met anyone else <laughs> who's played it, but I, I really like this one.
0: What was this on? Was it Xbox?
1: Everything. Yeah, uh, I oh, have it on. I have it on PS3, but it's also yeah. on Xbox One, and uh, I mean Xbox 360, and it's available on Steam as well.
0: Oh, cool. Have yeah, to it's, give that it's- a look then
1: it's readily available yeah it's really it's yeah. a really neat game it's also got a really cool soundtrack with kind of a like fantasy with like lots of drums but then like a weird like bit of like electronica like electronic okay. like cool synth to it like it's 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 cool
0: yeah 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 oh, that sounds good i some of what you're describing there um i mean i i i'm aware we've been going for 45 minutes so far so i don't want to spend too much time on this but some of what you're describing there with things like sort of the the combos and the air juggles and kind of bringing in some influences from like fighting games and stuff as well kind of ties in a bit with with this sort of beat up adjacent stuff that i wanted to mention so yeah i just, yeah. Wanted, to, I just wanted to pay a, b- a little bit of lip service to a few games that kind of uh fit this mold and then a lot of these i think are things that we can talk about in more detail on a subsequent episode so um like I say, I won't go into too much detail now. But for example, the what you were talking about with the with the various combos and moves and air juggles, there um, it reminds me very much of what Senran Kagura does. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. because That's true. I, I mean, I mean, Senran Kagura actually does have its roots as a em up. If you play Senran Kagura Burst on 3DS, that is a side-scrolling beat beat em up in the traditional mold uh, with a large cast of characters and special moves and that sort of thing. And, but from from uh versus onwards it moved into sort of 3d arena combat um that a lot of people sort of erroneously compare to warriors games there are some sort of mechanics in common in terms of sort of how you trigger special moves with a, a, a particular number of light attacks and then a strong attack but other than that the focus is very different but um yeah definitely what you're describing there and the the concept of fighting your way through large groups of enemies and sort of um triggering an air juggle uh, that is absolutely key to Senran Cargo's mechanics. The, the, yeah. They call it the, the aerial rave in that, which is normally a lot of your combos will trigger this sort of green flash, which knocks the enemies up into the air, and then there's a specific button that allows you to pursue them up into the air and continue your combat in sort of gravity-defying anime style, so you're just continually hacking and slashing away at enemies up in the sky, sort of floating there, almost like sort of wire-fighting kung fu sequences. And that's one of the most sort of distinctive defining characteristics of that series i think is that that sort of um that sort of aerial combat that's going on in there um and yeah for for me that's one of one of the particularly satisfying things about that series is sort of being able to gather a huge group of enemies and do and sort of hack and slash your way through them up in the air all at the same time and build up astronomical combo numbers and that sort of thing so it's a very different sort of focus to your average beat em up but again there's elements in common there certainly as well
1: yeah, I mean, I never played um, the original Center and kager I only ever played the the later ones that had the more <laughs> Dynasty Warriors feel to it. But I, I do remember making that connection in my head a lot about how much of the root of the beat-em-up even transitioned into those modern 3D ones, with specifically with things like the air juggle and stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. And in the case of those 3D ones in particular, that that's then blended with a lot from fighting games as well sure because although a lot of the levels sort of start off with you fighting through large hordes of enemies the focus for a lot of it is on um anywhere between one-on-one and one-on-three combat between your character and enemy characters sure and the way that those unfold is is very much sort of fighting game style so sort of Uh, being able to kind of manage the space between you keep an eye on what's going on be aware of animations and attack ranges and danger zones and that sort of thing and that's i think that's probably most apparent in um estival versus is the one that felt most strongly like a fighting game for me um burst renewal on playstation 4 they they kind of took a different approach where they're actually sort of visible telegraphs of moves and things, which kind of changed the focus of it. And I, I really liked that side of thing, but it kind of, it kind of changed how it felt. Sure. Because there was a lot more in the way of sort of anticipating things and recognizing the kind of attack patterns that you were going to be seeing and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's one way that that series has shown itself to not just sort of be recreating the same game over and over with each of its installments, even, even if they do might initially appear to be quite similar to one another but uh yeah that's that's a long-standing favorite of mine with good reason so mm-hmm. just just from a mechanical perspective and that's not even getting into sort of the appeal of the characters and the stories and so on as well which is a a whole other discussion certainly but yeah i think um i mean we, we've we both mentioned warriors there as well and i think warriors is another sort of beat up adjacent sort of uh, sort of style of game that's worth mentioning because again you've got that sort of space management and awareness of what's going on around you and familiarizing yourself with your character's moves and mechanics and in a lot of cases a strong feeling of impact as well it doesn't it doesn't tend to happen with every character in warriors i find depending on their on their sort of weapon focus and so on but there are certain characters in warriors who have a really strong feeling of of, of physicality to their attacks and so on. So if if I think of someone like Sun Sir from Warriors of Rochi is a really good example because he's got very satisfying sound effects for his weapons and that gives a really nice sense of impact Isn't he the guy that just has like
1: giant like, he's the guy that just like his weapons are just like two like pillars of like metal aren't they <laughs> like, just yeah, like yeah 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 i i've,
0: I've no idea what that weapon's called, but yeah it's basically basically just like a, a, a big stick with a handle and he, he just like he's just like beating people around the head with them and that sort of thing but they complement that this sort of animations for that really nicely with some really satisfying sort of kung fu kung fu whoosh, sound effects yeah yeah it's great <laughs> um yeah so and i mean then beyond that as well um You've then got uh, sort of the, the whole new genre, which is sort of the character action genre as well, which again is a discussion in itself. Sure. But I think it's I think it's worth acknowledging that uh, that genre owes a lot to beat 'em ups in terms of structure and mechanics as well. Um, yeah, but well, it's, I mean,
1: Kamia loves the beat 'em up. Yeah. Um, you know who you know kamea is arguably the master of the character action game because he made one right he made god hand and god hand is considered to be like one of the greatest modern send-ups of the beat-em-up ever Mm -hmm. i didn't really bring it up because i've I've never played it myself but uh, that that game is legendary in terms of the way it celebrates the beat-em-up
0: yeah definitely so like I say, all those things are things that would uh, that are worth exploring in their own right in the future, but I think we've covered a, a nice sort of cross-section of sort of the more modern side of things and I think those crossover titles there.
1: I think there's one more thing worth mentioning. And okay, this, go for this, it. This is obviously segue into a potential much larger discussion, but I think we would be remiss if we didn't bring up Yakuza.
0: Yes, yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, because there's there's a widely believed theory that as far as Sega's concerned, Yakuza is Streets of Rage. Yeah. Like, <laughs> because it is, right? I mean, when you think especially about the original Yakuza, like what the Yakuza or Ryuga games, Gotoku games present us with is an open world RPG where the battle sequences are instanced beat-em-up. Yeah like that's it like <laughs> Yakuza's is everything we could love about a modern beat up right like pick up picking up items and using them blocking dodging hit stun uh, combos it's this is it like this is probably the most modern evolution of the home beat-em-up is yakuza yes
0: yeah definitely I mean,
1: I'd I'd rather do Yakuza episodes, but I think it's important. I think it's important to really discuss how Yakuza kind of represents the pinnacle of exactly what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, I I think that's that's exactly right, and I think, um, yeah, Yakuza is is really interesting because it's. It's really hard to pigeonhole Yakuza. Yeah, oh yeah, uh, and, and, that, and that's, a, that's, that's a great thing, I think, and that's, that's one of the wonderful things about it. It's like, I've seen some people refer to Yakuza as a brawler, and, they, and like, I know that, that that's wrong. Like that 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 just immediately strikes me as being wrong. But they're not wrong to mention it because, as we say, combat in Yakuza is very much inspired by modern beta maps. But then you look at all the other stuff you can do in Yakuza as well, and you think, well it's clearly not just that but it's as you say it's it's an absolute evolution of what we're talking about there of of basically an evolution of the kunio kun formula i guess in many yeah, ways yeah exactly exactly so yeah but as you say i think that's definitely something that we can we can spend at least an a whole episode talking about probably for each game i'm sure yeah <laughs>
1: probably probably
0: uh but yeah um, but yeah, now that now they're all out, we can, uh, we can potentially think about doing that at some point, yeah. but, uh, Yakuza yeah, that is is my sig-
1: favorite game to buy and never, and play. never play because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's terrifyingly daunting.
0: Oh God. Yeah. I know the feeling. I know the feeling, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 I've got that sort of mentally penciled in for doing some sort of mega feature at some point because i do want to do them because the yakuza games that i have played which are the original two uh, playstation 2 versions of one and two and then the playstation 3 version of three i had such a good time with all of them but i i definitely want to revisit them at some point but it's as you say it's just sort of getting over that initial mental block of of getting into them and it's 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 not even necessarily a reasonable mental block because the actual sort of story side of Yakuza games tends not to be that long, so you can technically beat a Yakuza game probably in about ten hours or so. But, but <laughs> yeah, there is I've seen, I've, is, seen 100, <laughs> I've seen I've seen
1: hundred hour two hundred hour Yakuza files on online yes
0: yes yes. That's if, just because
1: everyone wants to manage the hostess clubs and race RC well, cars and
0: well yeah yeah it's it's because it's it's more than just that main story it it is a a living in this little specific part of japan simulator uh and yeah yeah wonderful experiences so so definitely something for us both to at least think about doing at some point (laughs) but anyway anything else you want to bring up before we wrap up for today
1: no i think that's it for me that's that's some good games we've talked about today
0: Alright, good stuff. And I'm off to download Double Dragon Neon then, I guess. Oh, I can't wait.
1: <laughs> the, the level 2 music will destroy you. Ah,
0: I'm sure. I'm sure. Alright, so before we leave for today, then, would you like to tell people where to find you online?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can always find my artwork at mrgilderpixels.com. I also uh, share work-in-progress shots and finished pieces on uh, Instagram. Uh, my screen name on there is also mrgilderpixels
0: cool and you can find me on moegaming.net writing most weekdays um and uh, so that's where all my written work is you can also find me on youtube uh, i rediscovered the other day that i've actually got a friendly short youtube url um that, so i don't have to remember that sort of 300 character unique identifier so if you want to find me on youtube uh, uh, if you're listening on soundcloud or something you can go to youtube.com forward slash c forward slash pete davison uh, and you can find me there um so uh i do atari 80z three days a week uh, covering atari 8-bit atari st and games from the atari flashback classics collection along with let's plays of the warriors series and final fantasy uh, and occasional other bits and pieces when i find the time and or energy to do them as well so do check them out because uh, i work hard on that stuff and it'd be lovely to have some more views on some of them um, yeah just remains for me to say thank you very much for watching and or listening and we will see you again next time Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember you can watch a video version of it over on YouTube. Be sure to check out moegamer.net for new articles on Japanese and Japanese-inspired video games, new and old, every weekday. Every month, Moegamer features an in-depth exploration of an individual game or series as its cover game, so be sure to check the archives to see if your favorite has had a deep dive yet. If you'd like to support the site directly, please consider becoming a patron or buying me a coffee. You can find links to do both over on moegamer.net. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.